Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Nautical Knowledge and Nonsense. In this episode, I got to interview Kyle Wilson. Kyle was on a destroyer in quarantine for way too long during COVID. Uh, this is probably the first episode where we talk extensively about COVID and just what life was like on a ship and kind of what life was like during those times. Yeah, the interview goes all over the place and it really was a lot of fun. I mean, there's some funny moments, there's some very serious moments, and there's a lot in between. And thank you, Kyle, for doing this. It was it was really great. My apologies for not releasing it right away. I kind of went down a rabbit hole, folks. I started looking into Iranian Flight 655 and the shoot down of that plane, which we talk about a bit during the interview. And I, I just went down the rabbit hole looking up reports on it and top secret stuff and all, all sorts of things. So, yeah, so that's why... I delayed the release. I still stand by everything I said in the interview, but it's complicated, period. And it's all interesting information. Who knows? I might do a podcast episode on it at some point in the future. But for now, I think you folks will be much more interested in hearing about Kyle Wilson and what life was like when quarantined on a destroyer during COVID. <laughs> All right, sir. Your name, rank, and serial number, please. <laughs> Hi, uh, my name is Kyle Wilson. I'm a ET2 uh, in the Navy, radar tech at the local base, and really enjoying my time out here. <laughs> Excellent. All right, Kyle. Well, so so you so in my phone, I have you down as Kyle Quarantine Too Long Wilson. <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> so so you you worked on you you were telling me we were talking earlier so you were on a destroyer since well since when uh i was on a destroyer out of pearl harbor since 2016 uh october 10th i think I was out there transferred out here june of last year so june 2021 about four and a half years four and a half years yeah and you were saying you know that it's not that you were on board for four and a half years, but you were you were assigned that vessel, right? So being assigned to uh, a ship, unless uh, extenuating circumstances, you don't actually live on board that entire time. You can live out in the barracks, or like me, married, lived out in town, just me and the wife and the dog. But quarantine too long, because jumping right into it, yeah, uh, on board for the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic definitely changed that uh, for many of us on board. Yeah. So what was that like for you? So I, I guess, how did, how did you guys or you in particular hear about COVID? Like what, what was, how did, how did life change? All right. Uh, so for me in particular, I guess the first news reports are coming out in January of that uh, 2020. We had heard some, murmurs on the news and at our command that uh no some new disease coming out of who knows where's looking scary but it, it's not going to be that bad so me and my family were like all right uh we'll go to disney world went out to disney world in march very beginning of march and when i got back march 23rd or 24th i was greeted to going back on the ship with a temperature check so I missed the initial 
hard implement implementation of the rules. But when I came back from leave, I was uh, greeted with a, a, a small shock. Uh, didn't help that my mother-in-law caught the flu on the way back. Oh, great. Definitely caused a, a minor, minor panic. Luckily, she didn't catch it. It was just, like I said, a normal flu. And continued on her merry way of being on board for on a normal schedule for about a month or so. And then that's when the, the, the real hard restrictions started coming in. So say that again. You had a, it was a standard. Wait, what, what, what did you describe it as? Uh, normal, the normal procedure to check on, on board. We started getting <clears throat> temperature checks. They'd have somebody waiting at the bottom of the brow to get on the ship holding, uh, an external temperature reader, okay. making sure everyone didn't have a fever coming on board. And so you guys, so you were physically on board for a month or how, how long were you like truly quarantined where you could not leave the vessel? Um, <laughs> rough estimate. Me in particular, I was on board for about four months. Um, other people much, much longer. And I was fortunate enough and fortunate in big air quotes. We got selected for, I, I don't want to call it an emergency underway, but a, an unscheduled deployment, a surge deployment is typically what we call them. So they had to send half uh, or about half of the crew off board to quarantine in hotels for about two weeks. So I was lucky enough to be one of those people, but it just meant I was stuck inside of a room for two weeks in downtown <laughs> Honolulu watching the tourists that were still coming in surf on the beach. Oh, brutal. <laughs> um, but the lead up to that, we had several underways from March to, to June where we would go out for a couple of days and have to come back in. And for my particular ship, the, the rule was you had to be in port for 14 continuous days. Didn't matter whether or not you interacted with another ship at sea or did this, that, or the other. You had to be in port for 14 straight days with no COVID cases. Right. This is regard, even if you did not make contact with another vessel, even if you didn't exchange anything, even if other people didn't come on board. Right. So it's completely logical, essentially. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I uh, mean, like how does like I can't think of anything more self-contained. Maybe a submarine would be more self-contained, or a spaceship, or something. Right, like, and, and I can't speak for the other ships or even the submarines that were out in Pearl Harbor. Mm -hmm. um, but that was my particular ship's restrictions. We still have subs in Pearl Harbor. Yeah, we have. Um, there's a few subs out in Pearl Harbor. It's a it's a sub base too. Well, I did, well, you said we haven't had a carrier there since, uh, since what, Pearl Harbor, right? Right. <laughs> since the attack. Yeah. Uh, still have subs out there, though. Okay. All right. right. Good to know. I, I did not actually know that. Yeah. And carriers can still visit. They're just not stationed out there. Yeah. Which... Well, it, yeah. It makes... I'm sure there are very good reasons for that. <laughs> reasons above my pay grade. Exactly. So, essentially, you guys were, were sometimes underway, sometimes not underway. Right. But this is for months that you were yeah, uh, on board without leaving. And then you were saying that you you did have a chance to visit with your wife? 
Uh, but you were like causing trouble? Or what? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so Visit is a very, I wouldn't say Visit, but um, I was on the pier on one side of the fence and she was in the parking lot to the pier on the other side of the fence. Three, We were both three feet away from the fence, so we maintained the, the six feet apart. But I, I wasn't the first person to do it, uh, to sit there and try to talk with their wife but i definitely uh, probably sat out there the longest which probably was what brought the attention but um unfortunately for me the captain was jogging the pier um for some evening um exercise and i was told that he needed to uh, knock it off and uh, get back on the sh- uh, report back to the ship immediately luckily nothing came of it for me personally but uh the next day it was put out that you were indeed not allowed to invite your family to the parking lot on the other side of the fence to talk to them, much to the ire of the, the crew. I'm reminded of the book, The Pokey Little Puppy, which I read to my boys all the time, which they love. <laughs> Just like that dog digging under the fence. Uh, wow, that sucks. Um, sorry you had to be the pokey little puppy there. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's got to. <laughs> so... So commanding officer was the captain of the ship was able to go jog around the pier. Like, did you guys have times where the crew could go and do PT outside or get a little fresh air? Like, What was life like on a quarantine vessel in this day and age? I'm just curious. Uh, I can't speak for all ships and I've only ever been state. I was only ever, I have only ever been stationed on that one ship. Mm -hmm. So my experience is obviously very limited, but this will probably not be my first quarantine interview. This is really interesting. And I'm sure other ships, people will be curious, I would imagine. Oh, for sure. Yes. Yeah, but a, um, hopefully a unique era, knock on wood. <laughs> right. So destroyer in the Navy, we call them small boys. So small crew. Uh, Let, let's, back, let's back up those right. for a second. Because I recently heard that uh, we only have what, eight or nine destroyers? Like, there aren't that many destroyers in the U.S. Navy anymore. Is that uh, true? Uh, no, I don't... I couldn't give you an exact number, but maybe eight or nine in Pearl Harbor. Oh, okay. Um, okay, so, there, so there's a few dozen then, probably. Yeah, uh, and the, there's different classes as well. They, they got a, a new destroyer out. Call it, they call it a DDG-1000, a Zumwalt class. Looks super futuristic mm-hmm. uh, supposedly haven't haven't been on one yeah because because i heard well i heard i heard that you know, for the u.s navy to truly patrol the world's waters and stuff like we would need hundreds of destroyers and that they'd be the real workhorses for for patrol work which makes sense right I mean, yeah uh and definitely some of our missions out there were to patrol but would you guys also support carrier task forces yeah so Destroyers are definitely a support unit to the carrier. I've been told uh, in worst case scenario, we'll have to, like, if they shoot a a torpedo at a sub and we can drive in front of it, we will uh, to to make sure it doesn't hit the the carrier. Very reassuring when you're attached to a carrier (laughs) strike group. But uh, thankfully, nothing has happened recently. Wow. And I heard as well because I forget who I was talking to, but you know they talk. So the, so I'm I'm a tall ship captain, mm-hmm. and 
and you know, I know a lot about 18th century naval warfare, and, and they would you know cram the sailors in like in hammocks and stuff, very very tight, hundreds of sailors on the oh, ships. Yeah. But somebody was telling me that a modern U.S. destroyer, the sailors are crammed in technically even like there's as far as like square footage of living space, it's actually on par with those vessels. Like there's just very little. That sounds about space. right. Um, I mean, you guys are incredibly packed in there, is my understanding. Yeah. So, um, destroyer I was on housed anywhere we could have three hundred to four hundred personnel if we were really pushing it. How long is the vessel? Uh, five hundred feet. Okay. Yeah, I think in one of the smaller berthings, which I was lucky enough, um, we had six, but an average berthing, thirty to forty be a typical number and then we had two big birthings that it felt like they shoved def like a hundred plus people into them incredible it it was a little crazy it smelled bad so why did you get i mean i'm assuming it's a good thing to sleep with fewer people like wh- why'd you get the small birth mostly lucky but just every ship's a little bit different on how they organize the birthing and i was just lucky enough to get one of the the smaller birthings I was in a small birthing, and then I was able to transfer into an even smaller birthing, knowing the right people and uh, (laughs) lining a few pockets with Monster and other energy drinks. And what was your job on board ship? So I'm an electronics technician. Specifically, I worked on the radar systems, and more specifically, I was an IFF technician. So I was... The guy who worked on the box that said that person's a friend or that person's a foe. What what does IFF stand for? Um, IFF is identification, friend, or foe. Oh, that makes sense. A real smart box um, that does a whole bunch of math equations and handshaking between other smart boxes on other ships and planes to say, yep, I'm me, you're you, and we're friends. And a couple other things as well that... That's basically what it does. So yeah, IFF's on every commercial aircraft in the world. It's a, a like a required unit. Yeah. Um, did it, did this come? I'm just curious. Did this come about at all because of the Iranian airliner that accidentally got shot down? Um. So interesting fact that they actually had an IFF unit on board. IFF is a lot older than the the, the destroyer did, or or <clears throat> or the plane did. The plane did. IFF is a lot older than a lot of people would think. I couldn't put an exact age on it, but for that Iranian aircraft you're talking about specifically was a an example case in my class of why you need to make sure that it's working. But in that particular case, they let us know uh, or they, they gave us information on that the IFF system was working on that on that aircraft it's just they chose to to turn it off wow i um wow uh, i got to see uh so i saw a, a video I, I, this is just stuff i'm always i get curious about and start browsing stuff or in college i'd always uh get, get bored and go to the library and look up random books and things but um, right well, one I did see a video. So the BBC was actually filming a documentary on that vessel. I forget the name of the vessel. You, you might know it because you studied it. But 
the BBC was filming a documentary. And so they have footage of, of like, you know, the destroyer going in and trying to go after these craft that were, you know, they had small boats that were, you know, I don't know exactly what they were doing, but they, they, the captain aggressively followed in. And I don't know if he was in Iranian waters or not. I don't know the details there, but all I can tell you what I saw in the video was you see them and they're, you know, the things and da, da, da. And then they, they shoot, you know, they, they are calling it like incoming plane, blah, blah. And they shoot it down and then they go past it. And they realize what they've done. And you can see the looks. I mean, these guys. And, and it cracked me up. The comments were, were very interesting because people were like, oh, those Americans, these horrible terrorists and stuff. I've never seen terrorists almost to the verge of tears. Like these guys were, it was, they obviously knew they made a mistake. They obviously were regretting it instantly. Yeah. It, it was, it, 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 I mean, kind of, it, it was heartbreaking. That's right. the only way to describe it. Yeah. And uh, they, they talked about that at, at, in our class as well. And they, Definitely, for us anyways, they definitely drove home the point that in that situation, your options are, with the information that they had, is this plane, you will you need to destroy it and save your crew, or you die. And yeah. I, I can't, I, I haven't seen the video specifically what you're talking about, but especially um, with people I met in my time, that you still meet a lot of very, very young people in the Navy um, coming right out of high school or a year or two or go to community college and come in so late teens, early 20s, and they are given the responsibility of if, just bluntly, if you fuck up, you and four other hundred people that you know and work with are, are gone. Some people, until that moment strikes, they will never know the feeling. And I I envy them to a degree. There there was a few situations that I, I was made known to after the fact that I was thankful that they were there to make that call. They being? Um, our, uh, the other people on board, operators, fire controlmen, Everybody on a ship serves a purpose mm-hmm. and the most dire consequence, the most dire consequence you can do by messing up as your job is the death of everyone else on board. Obviously that's an extreme worst case scenario, but like looping it back to my job working on IFF, if I don't make sure that my system is up, I don't give the other people who can, who have to make that decision whether to fire that missile or not, the most information that they can to make that decision. And I don't want that on my conscience that I fucked up and made them fuck up. Yeah. And it it, it definitely can be a little stressful. Yeah. Um, and with COVID, it definitely made it more stressful. A lot of people would, under normal circumstances go home, see their family, go out with their friends, party, whatever but um after our time on board i definitely saw a lot of people change dramatically from the stress build up just kind of like people i thought i thought i knew turned into completely different people by the end of our underways and deployment in what sense so um like most dramatically 
I knew some people that um, one day they left the ship and I never saw them again. They, they were a wall, not not a wall. They like their their time on board had to be cut short just because of the stress that they were facing. And I I don't want to get too much doom and gloom, but like happy people just becoming broken. Like they COVID was definitely something we weren't expecting, and it definitely introduced a lot of a lot of people what the the worst case scenario for the military could even like a fraction of it could be yeah i can think of much worse case scenarios but right <laughs> i mean uh, in the t- tactical uh, nuclear weapons on right <laughs> like uh, yeah but in, uh, the, in the modern day but, it definitely for some of these people it was for peacetime yeah for peacetime for, sure. it, for it was some of the worst worst times that a lot of these people see and in 2020 you have to keep in mind the longest you can stay in most branches and that is absolutely pushing it is 30 years Mm -hmm. so a lot of the upper leadership that i had only a few of them had actually joined before 9 11 a lot of them joined after for obvious reasons yeah um not uh, we would turn to our leadership and some of some of like i don't know what to do in this situation because i have never experienced this and that's no fault of their own, but it's... They should have read Shackleton. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Ernest Shackleton, um, this is very interesting. Do you know the story? I don't. Endurance? So he he was one of the Arctic explorers, and his ship, and it's, it, they got great photos of it. It's incredible. Like They got footage of it, actually moving footage. But it's mm-hmm. like, this was 19... Uh, I, I haven't read it recently, so the dates are not fresh in my mind. I want to say it's 1914, they said. It was right before World War One, right before... And they were trapped in the ice for about two years, <laughs> like with and and it, the, the funny thing, the book I have, I have a, a leadership book uh, that's specifically based off business leadership, but using Ernest Shackleton as a case study. And they start out where they you see two log books you know, essentially side by side, and the one person is like, "Oh my gosh, like everything's horrible. We're you know just doom and gloom." And this person's been in the ice for two months. And the other guy's log book is. Like, oh my goodness. And then we had a haircutting competition and then we're going to have a play over here and da, 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 like all this, all this activity. And the guy is super excited and you can hear it. You can hear it in the writing. Right. And he's like, they've been trapped for over six months in the ice. And that was Ernest Shackleton, right. <laughs> you know, his group. It wasn't him writing. It was, it was one of his um, helpers. Right. So sadly, the only reason it wasn't, because everybody survived. That's the crazy part. And it's mm-hmm. an insane story. And I feel like, especially after COVID, maybe just hearing this story, any naval officer out there should read the endurance. They should read the book just to understand how he was able to keep a crew together with no death. No, I mean, some of it was luck. Not going to yeah. lie. Like, like they, we could have never heard of those guys. One mistake, one rogue wave that got him one, you know, slide down the wrong ravine as you're trying to get to the whaling station. And like, they're all gone. Right. Um, so there was luck involved, but he kept the crew together for two years. I mean, it's, it's a long time uh, with, with almost with very, very little hope. And yet they, but they pulled it off. And some of it was planning for, first of all, who you hired. I mean, he, he had a lot of control over who you hired. Maybe might not have as much, uh, but then it was just those activities. And I know, you know, when I was a tall ship captain, like people were like, Oh, you I'm sure they just thought I just loved partying and, and, you know, playing role-playing stuff and just having games and fun. Right. But some of it was 
like that's how you bond people. So, so I'm curious, you know, it sounds like a lot of people had a hard time of it, but what would you guys do to try to lighten the load or, or make, so that make was, light of it all? That was kind of the, that, that's kind of the rub. So almost immediately they partitioned the crew into three sections. We had red, white, and blue sections. Um, you know, I was almost going to say, so they put all the redheads in the back. Okay, <laughs> wow. That's uh, kind of old fashioned, even for this day. And age. Right, right. <laughs> um, but if you were in um, red section, you couldn't interact with blue or white section mm-hmm. in any capacity. Like, yeah. they, and that, and that kind of makes sense in my mind. Right. You don't want to lose the whole crew. Right. Because um, we didn't know how bad it was initially, right? Initially, yeah. But it <laughs> it it breaks down a little bit when for the Navy, you remember that Inside the skin of the ship is all circulated air. But it's filtered air, right? I mean, yeah, it, it's it's filtered. I don't know if it... I I doubt that it is HEPA filtered oh. um, for the, <laughs> the, the circulation inside the ship. It's definitely extreme filtering process for the between the inside and the outside. But yeah, they separated us into three different sections. They made everyone shift berthing, so... Only people who were in the red section would be in the same birthing. All the people in the white section would be in the same birthing. Chow times, your one section had chow and they were the only people who could eat at that particular time. One section was always on watch. And if you forgot something at your watch station, you had to wait until your next watch to go and get it. If somebody didn't throw it out or get all uh, angry that you left a contaminated item in your watch station before the the oncoming crew came on. If you shared a watch space, uh, you had to disinfect it. And if, when you were coming to the station, you had to disinfect it again. Especially for my shop, we had enough spaces that we could be isolated from each other. So they made us stand watches in completely different spaces. And we would turn over the watch via phone call. Your watch station was your, the only, for, for me anyways, uh, I was I was lucky that your watch station could also be your lounging like area because nobody else was allowed in it. For other people, they didn't have enough spaces to do that. So you could go to your watch station, you could go to uh, the mess decks and you could go to your rack uh, and the gym on a sign-up sheet for your particular uh, time only. Uh, if they did morale events, which were very few, it had to be a morale event for the red team, a morale event for the blue team, for the white team. You couldn't... I think the 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 longest I went without seeing some of the people even in my own division was like three, four months. Wow. Uh, I, I heard his voice on the other side of the, the phone, but... That's the only way I knew he was there. That's kind of, yeah, it's kind of a crazy thought to think you're not seeing two thirds of your crew. That also has to be extremely hard. Right. And like maybe even harder than yeah. just being isolated. Yeah. And um, because you couldn't, because the only places I could go to relax were the place that I stood watching. Same for the, the guys on my watch team. It, say one day, like one of the guys pissed you off. You still had to see him for 
four more weeks. <laughs> you still had to see him four more weeks or however long it was until he got into port. Would you guys? So it sounds like you know, like you said, you would sign up for your your time in the gym, and then the other watch group would come in and do the gym. Do you guys ever prank each other? Did you ever like leave stuff for the other watch to like, oh, find this or do like a do like a scavenger hunt or something in, silly? In in my division, not particularly, uh, just because our watch stations were different. Maybe some of the people in the other divisions did that. Mm. To I was trying to think of funny stuff that would just like right kill the time. I mean, right, anything becomes funny at that point. Usually. Right, like anything. Like I think I went out with the uh, one of the guys on my watch team on the smoke pit, and we laughed that a cloud looked like a triangle <laughs> like we're we were so just bored they're like huh i've never seen a triangle shaped cloud before and we sat on the on the smoke deck laughing our asses off for about 20 minutes it was wild to think about <laughs> um absolute insanity i, I mentioned that sometimes we'd hit ports that <laughs> Ports were definitely not as good as as they could have been. So I had been on a deployment before my COVID deployment. And that was out in the Western Pacific. I saw Japan, saw Singapore, saw Guam, went to Brisbane, Australia. Amazing time. We were in Japan for like a month and a half due to reasons out of our, our control. Spent a whole bunch of money, went to a whole bunch of bars, went to a whole bunch of things. Amazing time. Yeah, it's a great country. Yeah. And then the COVID deployment, we went to Guantanamo Bay five times. Fun. <laughs> uh, we went to Guantanamo Bay five times. We weren't. Those Marines must have showed you a great time. <laughs> well, so that would have been a great opportunity to meet some Marines, right? Yeah. Except when we pulled into port. They sectioned off a a square for us that was as long as our ship and about 150 feet, or maybe maybe 100 feet wide. So 100 by 500. That's all the pier we could go on. Wow. They had set up a system where we could call food on base to get delivered to a designated drop-off point. We could pick it up. The only options were a McDonald's and... This pizza place on base in Guam or uh, in uh, in Guantanamo, we would go out so long and we'd come back. People were just itching to eat something else. And there was one day we uh, we ordered so much pizza, pizza they had to close four hours early. They ran out of dough, oh, wow. and they didn't open the next day. Oh wow! Absolutely wild. So when, yeah, I went to Guantanamo like four or five times. Because we come from Hawaii, we uh, we stopped in Mexico once. Uh, we weren't even allowed to leave the ship in Mexico. We just got stores on board. Okay. We went to Panama. This was this was uh, West Coast of Mexico. Yeah, West. Uh, I can't. What's the, the port? Do you remember? I can't remember at the moment. I got to meet the uh, one of the admirals of the Mexican Navy one oh. time. Yeah, the Cuauhtémoc. She was a <laughs> Mexican tall ship, the mm -hmm. sailing officer ship. Okay. Uh, she was, it was coming into San Francisco, and uh, it was actually interesting because it was the first time I saw one of those big square riggers under sail. I actually realized I didn't realize it until I saw it in the distance sailing. I'm like, 
huh, I've never actually seen, I've always seen them at the dock. Mm-hmm. I've never seen them underway under sail. It was really cool. Huh. And so once they got under the Golden Gate Bridge, they so we went out with a, a tugboat and my my schooner. It was a schooner Seaward out of Sausalito. Oh, oh I remember. Uh, I, I looked it up. I finally, uh, Manzanillo? Uh, Manzanillo, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, this, uh, so it's under sail. Gets there in Golden Gate Bridge, takes in all the sail, and, and these young, fit Mexican sailors are just like, oh man, they do it in like split second, right? And but then, <laughs> so they were getting ready to man the yard arms. That's mm-hmm. where the, the sailors would stand on the yard arms. Very, you know, classic thing to do on a square rigger and, and show off. Right, right. And then they saw we had a couple blondes on our ship, <laughs> all discipline out the window. They're like, all these guys just like, eh, Chica, ra-da-da, you know, just like completely losing all discipline. I was just, oh my God, it was so funny. And, uh, and so we got invited. We got invited to their, because uh, they had a, a banquet for the Americans, well, because they were an American port. And right. so, so we got invited because we had blondes on board. And so, <laughs> so it was really cool because they showed up and it was fascinating to see all the old, you know, because the the there was like a lot of military uh, history and tradition there, and so like the Americans, you know, we salute, come on board, you know, like there was just all this formal protocol that I thought would have long been died. Yeah, like, like nobody left that ship until the command, like until the head of the group, Americans left. They had to leave first, and then right. you were allowed to go. But I got to shake hands. I met some of the Mexican folks. Unfortunately, my, my Spanish isn't fluent; it's semi-fluent, so I didn't really chat much with them. Uh, but I did get to meet the Admiral of San Francisco. Oh. And so we're chit-chatting with, I'm like, I'm, I'm slightly dressed up. I'm like, I'm chit-chatting with the Admiral of San Francisco. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And, I, and he's like, and that guy over there is in charge of the West Coast. I was like, the West Coast of the U.S.? He's like, no, 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 no. The West Coast of North and South America. <laughs> <laughs> it's like whole, so like all this incredible Navy high brass was there and and like little old us. <laughs> right. Know, it was incredible. I, I, there would have definitely been a little uh, pucker factor if I had been at that bank. <laughs> of course, I'm sure. But for me, it was like, you know, just as a, no, no, you know, civilian. It was, it was really cool to just be able to, and they probably loved it. I mean, I oh, know yeah. to, to be able to casually chat with somebody, I'm sure it was a pleasure. Oh yeah. It's, I'm not any sort of high up on the echelons E5. It, it's it's fun if I'm out on a port visit in uniform and can talk to a local. It it's whether they're American or wherever country we're in. It's it honestly is fun, but the free drinks are also also really good. <laughs> um, so you so you had a, a not a layover. What's it called? You had a port of call. No port of call. No. Did a port visit. We had a port visit. Yeah, so you had a port visit in Mexico. Yep. And then yeah. uh, from Mexico, Manzanillo. I butcher that language. <laughs> Went down coast. Stopped in Panama City. Uh, waited for our turn to go through Panama Canal. Super. Uh, I wouldn't say important, but it, it's a very celebrated event, similar to crossing the line ceremony. If you've heard of that before. Oh, yeah, folks, listen to episode, what's the last episode I just recorded? <laughs> it was uh, with uh, uh, with Robert Armour. Uh, he describes in, in some, some detail what happens, or at least what happened prior to having women on board. <laughs> right. So on my previous deployment, we had done our um, crossing the line ceremony. I was told, it's like, this is a very rare opportunity for a ship stationed out of Pearl Harbor to get, it's called the Order of the Ditch. Uh, crossing the Panama Canal. 
And there's a few other special orders of that people in the Navy are very proud of getting. Blue nose and red nose going to the Arctic and Antarctic Ocean. Seven seas, visiting the seven seas. (laughs) Or doing a um, circumnavigation of the Earth is another big one. So this was a, a big opportunity for us. And we had been long enough that we had definitely a green enough crew that on our way back, skipping ahead a, a lot in that deployment, we actually, when we came out of Panama, we actually ducked down to cross the equator on Pearl Harbor Day. So for us, super, super proud event. December 7th, we had another crossing the line ceremony for our our green sailors or wogs, as we affectionately call them. That's uh, WOG, W-A-G-S? Uh, W-O-G-S. W-O-G-S, WOG. Okay. Yeah, like a polywog. Yeah, not to be confused with logs or bogs. or Okay. Right, right. So we, on Pearl Harbor Day, cleansed our WOGs to become trusty shellbacks. <laughs> so a couple other specialty orders exist. Some people recognize them, others don't. Like uh, the carrier that went on the longest deployment, they're iron shellbacks. They had the longest deployment in U.S. history in modern times. So they get the specialty of being an iron shellback. Or if a ship crossed the line on July 4th, they're star-spangled shellbacks. Huh. Or there's a couple other uh, golden shellpack crossing the dateline and the equator at the same time. And... So I'm guessing captains will go out of their way to make sure this happens. Right? Yes. Um, okay. If if there is an excuse, and I definitely say excuse, <laughs> any line for any reason, just to, to make it look good on themselves. So we crossed on Pearl Harbor Day. Ship out of Pearl Harbor. It's super important to our heritage and history. I was um, going to ask, so this is the first I've heard about Pearl Harbor Day. So it's obviously a big deal in the Navy. It, like what what is that like 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 do you guys have a ceremony of a moment of silence you... um yeah so um in pearl harbor there's a moment of silence at the uh there's a more intricate ceremony going on at the memorial for some of us they uh the ceo will just be like nope today's pearl harbor day is day of remembrance don't come into work others are like you're coming to work we're gonna do our ceremony on board and you're going to go home. I, I've never had a normal work day on Pearl Harbor Day while okay. I was stationed in Pearl Harbor, for sure. When we were in port. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we crossed the line on Pearl Harbor Day. So we and everyone who was on board um, like to call ourselves Pearl Shellbacks. Whether people will recognize that or not, we never got an official certificate saying Pearl Shellback, despite them saying they would order it for us. And that's how tradition gets started. Right. <laughs> I, mean, I think it's great. I think there will be pearl shell bags for a long time. I'd I'd like to hope so. But cutting back to the first time we cut through Panama Canal. Cool, cool system built over 100 years ago. It's three different locks that elevate us so we can go from the Pacific to the Atlantic without having to go all the way around. And they're expanding it now, I think. So, uh, is that true? I Or it got expanded recently? Uh, maybe. I... Couldn't honestly tell you. I'll have to look that up. I'm pretty sure. Anyway, it's neither here nor there at this point. Yeah. So we, uh, anyways, so crossed over, entered the Atlantic, 
couple of ports we hit were Jamaica. It was okay. We were confined to the port and not even to, uh, we were actually confined to the ship. We couldn't even step onto the port. And from our ship, we could see the Sandals Resort. The, the what? The Sandals Resort. Oh. Tried the local beer. They brought it on for us. It was all right, which is heresy to some. They absolutely love, uh, I think it was called Red Stripe. Okay. It's so it's so funny you're mentioning all these ports and uh, you know, especially the the places where we you know, typical ports of call and I, I couldn't help I, I had to chuckle earlier because I remember one time in college I, I met this homeless guy who was mm-hmm. just like, we were hanging out and I, I think I bought him a beer or something and he's like talking to me he's like oh man I've been all over the world da 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 he starts listing off all these places he'd been I was like so you were in the navy he's like hey you're pretty smart for a college kid you know that. <laughs> I was like, well, those are all ports of call where, you know, where, where yeah. people stop. So I just, just had to chuckle. And yeah, he, he said, oh, yes, we got it all figured out. I got a tent down by the highway. It's awesome. Get girls all the time. <laughs> you got no idea what you're missing out on. I was like, oh, okay, buddy. Right. But, uh, uh, but yeah, it was it was interesting. So he had, been, he had actually been in the Navy because I questioned him a little more. And it was pretty obvious he had been. So Yeah. Uh, and that's unfortunate that he's in that situation. I, he... Yeah, it, it, sort of. He seemed really happy, though. <laughs> like, I can't explain that, it. <laughs> uh, I mean, depending on where he was, uh, better to him, like, being out of Hawaii, beach bums are a thing, um, mm. lack for a better term. But, I mean, if I'm going to be homeless somewhere, Hawaii is pretty, pretty good. I mean, it was good enough for, for Chris Pratt for two years. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Uh, apparently, he stayed out on Oahu, or not Oahu, Maui for two years. Wow. Uh, before he got big into acting, huh. it's it's definitely well. Heck, I mean, we, we uh, oh, I don't know how far off course we want to get in this conversation, but but the yeah, it's 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 complicated. It's complicated. There are many different stories. I, I feel I was actually talking to my wife today, and I feel like homeless doesn't it, it encompasses too much that umbrella. Like oh. There's a heck of a lot of difference between a person who is mentally ill and high on drugs and, and literally just can't keep themselves together and is a danger versus a woman who got beaten, you know, and has to leave with her daughter in the middle of the night because her husband's insane. Right. Like, like oh. that person is also homeless. So right. and- they're in the same umbrella, which doesn't seem fair to me. You know, one's a threat and one's a victim. Right. Uh, I will probably edit this out, but <laughs> it, no, it, that's fine. I, I definitely looking at both sides of the token. Like the majority of homeless shelters are designated for homeless women and their children, and I'm comfortable that they have a place to go where they can escape if they need to. the The problem I have is, I think it's a. Uh, I think it's four to one or even greater than that ratio of exclusively women's shelter to just average shelter or even men exclusive shelters. But the ratio I think is nine to one male homeless to female homeless. Uh. Not disregarding their need for their, their shelters. Everyone is kind of concerned about the homeless problem, but they don't want to address that there's not enough facilities. Mm-hmm. If they don't, uh, and I'm sure you've been down to Seattle, you see the problems down there. 
I feel for them with great empathy because there have been several times in my family's history and my wife's family's history that that was an only option for them. Luckily, they were able to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, which and carry on. But it's disheartening that everyone likes to. It feels like to me complain about the problem, but not actually offer solutions. Yeah. We had on the tall ships, we would often get travelers. They usually call themselves travelers. I mean, there's many, many different names for people that choose to be homeless and travel around. Right. Um, and it was kind of neat. It was neat to, I mean, because I, you know, we lived, I mean, I, I would literally be sleeping next to these folks, literally on the bunk next door or yeah. under, underneath or above or whatever. So, you know, that was kind of the cool thing about tall ships. You get people from all walks of life and... Yeah, and so and but a lot of the stories were pretty harrowing. I mean, like a lot of a lot of violence, a lot of you know, a lot of drugs, a lot of violence, a lot a lot of problems with that lifestyle. But the people that showed up on the ships in general, they did great. Right, they kind of they were they were looking for something anyway. They were and looking. They obviously, weren't finding it out on the street. Right, they, weren't, they, they know, weren't finding it where they they were, and they yeah. wanted to travel and find it. Where they could. And once they found out, oh my gosh, I can be on a boat and they get some responsibility and all you got to do is take care of your shipmates in the boat and it travels like, and you have a place to put your stuff. stuff. It's like, this is home. Like, it's great. Right. (laughs) I respect those people so much that like they, they, people recognizing that they thought that what they needed was somewhere else and they tried to distance themselves from that situation. And this is what's great about the Navy and the the military in general, kind of shifting but relating to tangentially, is I have met so many people that have challenged my way of thinking that I think I am definitely a more rounded and better person for it. I grew up in Washington all of my life, talking to people who grew up here Maybe meeting a few military brats as well. My dad was in the military and my family was. But a lot of, a lot of the people I knew, they, they never knew more than Snohomish and King County. I wouldn't say escape is what I needed, but I needed a chain of, change of scenery. And meeting those people who thought similarly but differently in different aspects uh, offered me insight that I, from my upbringing, couldn't have perceived is so valuable that as as much as I have issues with how things are done or could be done with the Navy or my communities that I've been in in general, I wouldn't trade that for anything because I've met I've met some people from my past and it feels like they've got locked in an echo chamber hmm. for sure by being around people that they grew up with for so long. They, I wouldn't say they haven't grown, but it is difficult for them to shift perspective. Even when I wasn't in places for long, because all of boot camp takes place in Illinois, uh, just outside of Chicago. All Navy boot camp? Yep. All really? is in Great Lakes, Illinois. They're, really? Uh, yep. Uh, we used to have um, basic training in San Diego and Florida. 
but that was long before my time. They're just too pretty, huh? I guess. That was it. They just yeah, too want, pretty. Too warm. Uh, yeah. Too, yeah, too warm. You guys uh, got soft real fast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the, I think it was the fourth week in boot camp. Boot camp got shut down because it was so cold. Ice froze over the, the the railroad tracks and they couldn't get anybody in. Oh my gosh. Um, but yeah, even even the, the shift in location, meeting people who weren't from the area and our perspective on what was around us was definitely enlightening. Their perspective on problems definitely helped me and my perspective on some problems helped them. Weird, weird niche, niche case. I'm not into exercise at all. Mm. But I do know some weirdly tangential information about it just because every once in a while I'll like, oh, maybe I should get an exercise. And then I don't. Definitely one of those reoccurring New Year's resolution things. But one of my friends in boot camp uh, or just after boot camp when we were still getting trained up for our jobs, he wanted to get an exercise and he was having a problem running and he couldn't figure out why. All of the gym gym rat bros are like, oh, you just got to push through it. You just got to push through it. No, no, um, depends. Yeah, and it's like, <laughs> and not if not if it's your tendon or your bones, you don't do that, right? And I, I was the first person to ask, is like, what foot are you breathing in on? What? So, what was happening was he was getting a oh. side stitch, and he couldn't figure out how to get rid of it. Apparently. If you breathe in and out on the wrong foot, it causes that side stitch. Wait, do you have to alternate? Or So you're supposed to breathe in on one foot, take three steps, and then breathe out on the other foot. Interesting. I wonder if I just did that intuitively because I, I never, almost never got a side. Yeah, it's, it's similar like, to like breathing when you're swimming. Yeah. You breathe in on one side and exhale on the other so you don't yeah. cause a stitch. On your side and causes muscle cramps. Yeah. Some never, people get it naturally. Others don't. I never got cramps swimming either. I'd always just one side. Yeah. Breathe in. Breathe, yeah. I'd yeah. Alternate. Whoa. That's crazy. Right. It was a perspective that nobody else had offered him. So he tried it. Yeah. And it worked for him. Like all these other gym rats, like they just got like some of them like, oh, yeah, I can breathe on whatever foot I want. And I was like, okay, we'll do it. And they noticed that they were naturally breathing in on the foot they needed to and breathing out on the foot they needed wow. to. Wow. You got so much gym cred. I, I don't know if that's a word, but it's a thing now. Right. Gym cred. It, it, it was just such a weird moment though, because these guys were bigger than me. They could definitely pump iron better than I could. Yeah. Run faster, do whatever. But I offered a perspective that they hadn't thought about because they were already naturally doing it and just didn't recognize it. Does your, does your body, so, I remember when I was a kid, when I was 14 is when I started weightlifting mm -hmm. and my body rewarded me so much for that. Like I loved the feeling of my muscles getting bigger. I loved getting tired. I loved like I craved it. And I mean, I, it wasn't until I had kids that I actually, I hate to say it, I got the dad bod and now, <laughs> now I'm working it off a bit. But, uh, and, but even now, like even like I'll do two days of exercising in a row and I can feel the difference. Like, my body rewards me so much. Do you get that? It's funny that you mentioned that. My wife just forced me to go to the gym the other day. Yeah, um, see, that's the problem, right? <laughs> see, I wouldn't have to be forced. I, I need to be like, I just need the freaking time. <laughs> right. And to make the time. I, I make excuses now. I'm, yeah, I, make, I definitely make excuses on about going to the gym. I definitely, in the moment of, 
I definitely hate the experience. Really? I hate, like, I, I can't, I'm not that person who can go to the gym alone because I need, oh. I, I need a hype man. I need somebody to, like, fucking toot my horn and fucking, like, yeah, you can fucking do it. Um, See, I always went alone. Yeah. yeah. And, and, then, I was, and, and I'd, like, I, I a couple times did until I threw up. Yeah. So, um, so that, was, that was back when I was a little younger and crazy. Right, right. But. And, um, but the big excuse that I always end, that I always end up doing is like, oh, I can't, I can't work out after a meal because it makes me nauseous. It uh, no. just don't work out as hard. Yeah, just don't work out as hard. And, but in the, there's the thing in the back of my mind is like, oh, you need to work out harder, otherwise somebody's gonna is like, oh, it's not, it's not you working out, it's just you fucking going through the motions. So I always. My wife's going to give me a little shit if she hears this podcast because I, def- <laughs> I definitely got nauseous when she dragged me to the gym because we, we ate and then we went to the gym an hour later because she's like, it's, a, it's been an hour. It's fine. It's like, for me, no. But that's just me. But Well, I, mean, I don't want to say too many excuses, but so, some of it is genetics. Like, yeah. like I literally think about doing push-ups and my chest gets bigger. I swear <laughs> to God. It's, it's ridiculous. I don't have to do anything. I definitely like, like a couple push-ups once see, a week, you know, two times a week, and all see, of a sudden, like, it's, see, it's I'm nuts. similar. I think about doing push-ups and I get winded. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it cracks me up. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny how you'll see. I mean, I remember seeing this one guy at the gym, and I was just like, "How?" Like, I, I was staring at him, and 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 uh, his girlfriend was it was next to him, and I mm-hmm. think she thought I was staring at her. That was not the case. It, like one of those rare, like. Rare young Johan instance where I was actually staring at the dude, dude, and it was because of his arms. I was just like, "How did he get those arms?" And you know, despite my best effort, I can never get you know big arms. Now, now I don't, I don't care, care. anymore. But yeah. but I used to obsess about that stuff, which yeah, that's another issue for another podcast, I suppose. right? <laughs> but anyway, we should get back on the boats. Okay, so people okay. are people are gonna be like, "What are these guys talking about?" Though actually, that's a valid point. So can I? All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna preface this with I think the U.S. Navy is pretty awesome. I think uh, had I joined any service, it would have probably been the U.S. Navy, specifically submarines, just because something cool about I don't know what it was. I like subs, but all that said, I do recall we were out. We must have been in Norfolk, Virginia. I think it oh, was. Yeah. I was with tall ships, <laughs> and I I remember. <laughs> I remember seeing these young Marines, obviously fresh out of boot camp. I mean, I, they were so healthy and they were so slender and ripped and, and like just had the haircuts, the whole thing. And you could tell like they were fresh out of boot camp and they had one Navy guy with them in uniform. They're all in uniform. Yeah. yeah. And the one Navy guy was there and he was, I swear to God, they brought him along just to make themselves look even better. Like this was a pudgy, like out of shape, puffy guy. I was like, oh, I mean, it was comical. It was oh, almost. Yeah comical <laughs> well how, how to put this politely so the, uh, what are the stand like are there uh, are did standards get neglected during covid number one number two are standards pretty lax in the u.s navy uh, as so, far as f- physical fitness goes uh so I, I can't obviously speak for the other services but for during covid yes they cut back standards um really yes and, and there is a certain logic to it so normally our physical readiness uh, test or uh, PRT is done usually in large groups. So having a large group of people during COVID like and requiring six feet apart on some ships is very impractical. Yeah. 
like my ship uh, example, a destroyer, we had four sitting bikes for a crew of 400. I'm trying to do the math right now. So, and then um, <laughs> part of the, wow. <laughs> yeah. So, and then part of the requirement is if you use the bike, um, it is a, a calorie based off of your weight in 12 and a half minutes. And if you have four bikes for 400 people that have to do it for 12 and a half minutes, you get into ridiculous amounts of time needed to perform a, a physical readiness test. Not including, at the time, it was push-ups and sit-ups. Yeah. So it, it just becomes impractical based off of space and equipment needed. Because the other option is you're supposed to run a mile and a half. Well, we had two treadmills. Yeah, no. That ain't y- yeah, so at most, you're getting six people doing the cardio portion at a time. So 2020, they just, on on the ship, they just canceled it. It You were given... Basically, not a non-complete, but basically a, a null value. It didn't count against you. It didn't count for you. Did you see the results of that? I mean, like, were oh, people getting out of shape? Were people getting they're, um, really unhealthy? So the people who... And, and the the people who liked going to the gym, they stayed relatively healthy. The people who didn't like going to the gym, self-included, uh, definitely gained some weight. I think over that deployment conservatively very conservatively i gained 15 pounds okay so freshman 15 yeah and, but over the course of six months for that deployment and then not and that's not even counting the weight i probably gained on the the in and out underways before that mm. so it definitely not fit say the least De- didn't utilize gym time like i should have and that that's a personal choice, but at the time I didn't need to do the PRT, so I didn't see a, I didn't see a point in working out. And that that's a bad mindset to have, obviously, because the next year, because you're supposed to have a, a readiness exam twice per year, every six months. Okay. So 2020, they they still did one, they just didn't do two. So the one counted for the whole year. And this year, uh, we just finished one up. And there hasn't been word that they're canceling the second one. So (laughs) that's coming up. Uh, Definitely could have, had I maintained a certain level of healthiness, it would be easier for sure. Yeah. So what'd you do with, so you had extra free time then? If you're not working out of the gym, what what would you do with that free time or or what would other people do? Um, Did you guys come up? I, I don't know. I just could imagine me being on a ship and like, We'd have Dungeons and Dragons games going, or some, uh, like, like some silly stuff like that. I, it, funny that you mentioned that, obviously, because we one we met at a, a Dungeons and Dragons game, but two, that is exactly <laughs> what I did. <laughs> um, I knew yeah. we were kindred spirits when we met, sir. <laughs> right. Uh, so I definitely got people, and I, and I only worked a little bit as much as it did um, because I got people to play on the deployment before COVID happened and it was an apocalypse. So they knew that I had played Dungeons and Dragons before and I was willing to play with them again. And I got the three guys that were in my uh, work group to, to play Dungeons and Dragons with me. It was oh super gosh. fun. Do you think that helped you guys psychologically get through uh, it? It helped a little bit for sure. Uh, and then when we wouldn't play Dungeons and Dragons, we'd just play on our own laptops, watch or watch movies or listen to music or sleep 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, I definitely caught up on a lot of sleep. That's the 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 big joke is they never give you enough sleep on a deployment or an underway. But they def I definitely had some of the best sleep in my naval career <laughs> during that deployment. I even had a hammock set up in our in our lounge space. Like, hey man, anybody can use the hammock. Just wipe it down with a bleach rag before you do it. If you're going to use it, don't do it when during directed sleeping time. But if you do, I told you not to. And of course, it was like two or three weeks later, Master Chief came down to inspect the our our area to make sure we weren't being gross. And what did he do? He caught somebody sleeping in the hammock. Oh man! So I get down there <laughs> ten minutes later after I wake up and do birthing cleaners, and it's like, oh hi, Master Chief, what are you doing down here? It's like, oh, so we sleep in our watch stations, are we? It's like, oh fuck. <laughs> Oh, that's that's when you got to come up with a witty response. Like, oh, no, yeah. no, sir. We're... I was like, it's like this, I... we're doing a nautical history experiment, right? It's this like... is for the navy in, in like intelligence. We're trying to see if hammocks are the way to go for the future. This is a scientific experiment, sir. Right. Uh, oh, carry on. Uh, <laughs> I was like, oh, had no idea about it. So I got a a, a counseling shit. It's like not knowing what your uh, what your underlings are doing. It's like, ah, damn it. Yeah, they're gonna get you one way or the other, yeah, but we're... All right. Well, so all right. So it wasn't all bad. It wasn't. It wasn't bad, in the sense that we were constantly busy, constantly doing things, like having no time to ourselves. The bad about it was we had too much, yeah. and, and this is specifically for me and my group. We had too much time to ourselves, and it was eight hours of watches a day, eight hours of sleep a day, eight hours of ourselves to a day. The problem being, you got. To spend it in three rooms, yeah, the gym if you chose to. So, Kyle, I, I hate to tell you, there's a lot of historical precedents for keeping sailors busy. Like, right? No, <laughs> in the 18th, 19th century, they would just have them doing stuff to be like, yeah, we, these guys need to stay busy. They're going to cause trouble, <laughs> right? And, and I, I definitely get that. Like, yeah, if you don't keep them busy, they're going to be bitching, and if they're bitching, like. <laughs> Um, Though you would think in this day and age, with the inter- amount of entertainment, I mean, what what I was wondering was, did anybody on board the ship have a VR set? Like, it was virtual reality. A so thing? some some people did very very ex- basically exclusively to E seven and above or the officers. Uh, I don't think so I just, yeah. Just for layman, the, these are the the higher ups in the yeah. command. So- yeah, yeah, so uh, ranks. Yeah, our our chiefs and officers. I met one chief who had a VR set and he definitely didn't like sharing it with other people, he, yeah. which is fine. Like it it was his property. He could do what we want. But yeah, there was like on a normal underway, like comparing the COVID underway to a normal underway. On the Mestex, sometimes they'd have bingo night. Okay, yeah, it's like have a chance to win money. Well, on bingo night during COVID, you could only play against people in your section for a certain amount of time before the next section had to come in and play, and then the next section had to come and play. So you're not you're not interacting with people you haven't interacted with. You're always interacting with the same people, and like obviously people are gonna butt heads, and obviously they escape 
is to hang out with other people. But if you're always hanging out with the same people, you're always going to be butting heads with the same person until you either figure it out or you just decide to stop talking to the guy, which can be difficult. I would have left letters. I would have I would have created pen pals. Uh, so uh, <laughs> that would have been hilarious. Someone I think someone tried doing that yeah. actually. That'd be fun. There, there was a point where our Mestex was covered in plastic wrap. And it sounds weird, but um, so they're just like a stand, like our Mestex was like, think of like a school cafeteria where it's just a whole bunch of long tables mm-hmm. with fixed seating. Well, Navy regulation says you have to sit six feet apart. Oh, for. So. Okay. So now you have to think, I was like, okay, well, now the Mestex can only hold basically one third the capacity, which yeah. is fine when you've split the groups into one thirds. The problem being is you're trying to catch up with all of these people you haven't talked to in a while, even within the same group. And meal times are so important. Yeah. Meal sharing food is so important. Right. Like you can't have anybody in front of you or next to you when you're sitting down. So you, the person's catty corner to you, which is six feet. Give or give or take. But you still have all the other people in line wrapping around the ship because they need to be six feet apart from each other in the line. So you need to shovel food down, get out, so the next guy can get food. So every 120 to 50 people can eat their food in basically 30 to 40 minutes. And this happened for months. And it happened for months. So uh, I do not envy the leadership having to try to figure yeah, out how like, to make all this happen. I, that's, I, that's tough. That's I don't, really tough. I don't envy their jobs either. Like, yeah. no matter what, you're always going to make the wrong decision in somebody's eyes. Well, but, they're probably under orders from above. Like, <clears throat> this probably wasn't their idea to do those regulations. Right. Obviously, I don't know comparing to other ships because I don't know how their deployment went. But somebody luckily came up with the bright idea. It's like, Let's use fucking plastic wrap. Hmm. Every seat is going to be its own little cube. <laughs> so that way you can sit more people and get them. So we have less people waiting in line and more people on the Mestex. The problem being, uh, I'm not sure you've ever, uh, maybe you have, but have you ever gone into a greenhouse in yeah. the middle of summer? Yeah. Yeah. So each one of those cubes because there's no airflow, is just heating up the entire time. What's You're the s- ambient temperature on? Uh, um, the ship has air conditioning, right? Modern this destroyers? Sh- yeah, so certain areas are cooler than others. The right. average temperature on the Mestex would probably say like 70 degrees. Okay. Which isn't bad, but when you make a plastic, basically, box with limited airflow, it's going to heat up in the little cubes really quickly. Huh. So there'd be some guys who'd sit in there and it would just, it would start raining because they were like, they were producing so much body because, you know, some guys are smaller, some guys are bigger. Yeah. And there'd be these guys just taking up the entirety of this little, not plexiglass, but like soft plastic cube, like kind of like shower curtain material. Yeah. Okay. Wow. And it would just fill up with so much humidity. (laughs) It would start raining on them. (laughs) So, 
they put in these things like oh, yeah. trying to stop people from like being gross. So I, I didn't understand this at first. I had trouble visualizing it. So this is like a cubicle. Like you have created an insulated cubicle. cubicle basically. Holy crap. Yeah, you basically <laughs> cu- created a cubicle with plastic wrap. Oh my gosh. Um so good in theory. <laughs> so good in theory, but in practice, yeah, I think that lasted about 5 days before they they ripped them all down because not only they're like, okay, cool. You can sit the full Mestex. But now, before someone can sit in it, you need some poor schmuck to go in there and bleach the whole thing. Yeah. Oh, that was the other thing. So, uh, average destroyer cleaning stations two or three times a day. Well, with uh, the regulations for COVID, they had to also bleach everything. So, what they did is during cleaning stations, they would have, like, you would be given a bottle of bleach or sanitary wipes or whatever, and you'd have to wipe everything down in your general vicinity. Some people had to go other places. But there would also be person basically patrolling the ship with a pressure sprayer filled with bleach water, and they would spray it. And what was supposed to happen in in theory, was they would spray it and someone would come behind them and wipe all of the bleach off. Cool. What happened in practice was they'd spray all of this bleach everywhere and the person would basically just wipe the high contact areas. Cool. But now you have all of this bleach buildup (laughs) everywhere else. So there was this thin crust of bleach salt. Oh my basically everywhere oh yeah and there was a um there was a joke basically you didn't need to go to medical if you got a cut you just rub your arm on something and they would sanitize it um <laughs> which it stopped being a joke when someone actually did it they as time went on they loosened up a little bit eventually we did end up standing in the same watch station we just had to bleach and so we got well so all right so here's here's two things two Mm -hmm. things number one in defense of the leadership as you said your vessel was the only one that did not get a case of covid is that true like a confirmed case of covid correct um so that does say something right through luck or through protocol it worked it worked right now number two why do it for four months? Why not combine the crew after a month? I mean, like, like people from the get-go, they knew this disease did not last longer than two weeks. Like, people would show symptoms within two weeks. And what then? I mean, so why, why would you... Why would you and this would, is, Did they ever explain the rationale to you? I guess maybe that's the question. No, they never really explained the rationale, but you have to... Um, and this is where Navy, I guess, politics comes into play. So, right around when we were, I guess, starting this deployment, the Theodore Roosevelt arrived in Guam. That's a that's, that's a carrier. That, that's a carrier. Yeah. And I don't know if you know the entire story, but basically, the captain, the CEO of the Theodore Roosevelt, put an open letter out to the media asking for help. I do because recall they, reading about that. Yes. Because the the higher echelons of the Department of the Navy weren't helping in the way that he, and I'm, I'm going to use my words carefully, perceived that he needed 
help. Yeah. Which ended up leading to him being fired. But in a, a, a benefit to his crew, things that they needed got taken care of because they were having issues with COVID on their ship. Because a carrier is basically a floating city. It's 5,000 people. It's ridiculously huge. So there was a lot of, in my perception, I don't know exactly how it was for my captain, a lot of pressure put on to make sure that there were no COVID cases and there could be no COVID cases. Part of the reason why the crew wasn't being integrated while we were at sea is because when we would pull into ports, there was an opportunity, a small opportunity, usually for a couple of days, to mix and mingle with the other parts of the crew. And then you would get re-isolated and then continue on. So it's not... But technically, if nobody's going ashore... Right. I mean, I've, I like, were they concerned about... You know, COVID somehow being transferred on a package or something like that. Like, it's actually funny that you mentioned that. Um, uh, before we did our COVID deployment, when we were doing our on and off underways packages that were being delivered to the ship, um, they would be set into a designated area by mm -hmm. whoever was dropping them off. Someone would come over and they would use the pressurized bleach solution and bleach these cardboard boxes down. You would wait. 15 minutes, which in theory kills whatever's on it with the bleach. Yeah. And then you could bring the items aboard. Didn't matter what they were, with the exception of food items, because obviously you can't bleach lettuce or eggs right. without adverse right. consequences. But you'd have a lot of diarrhea on show. Yeah. <laughs> that would not be pretty. Right. Um, <laughs> we had a, I don't remember exactly who it was. But it got back to me a couple days later. Somebody sprayed the, the boxes and so, somebody's like, oh, boxes are sprayed. Went down, grabbed a box, brought it on board. And they were escorted off the ship that day because they hadn't waited the 15 minutes. Okay. I don't know whose decision that was exactly. And the information was given to me secondhand. I wasn't mm -hmm. there, obviously. But... Events like that definitely affected our morale heavily. Well, and initially I could see, I mean, I, I don't know how any protocol could be too much initially. We, right. we, we just didn't know what we were dealing with. I mean, I did the same thing. I had gloves on and was spraying everything down, just doing my road trip across country right. when I had to move freaking four times because of COVID. So. Right. And even, even bef there was one opportunity actually when I was able to go to Costco in Hawaii before basically getting confined to the ship. And I did the same thing. I wore a double mask. I wore double mm -hmm. gloves. I bleached both gloves before I touched anything. Yeah. Like, I didn't know what I needed to do and what was overkill. Yeah. Like, so I, I get it to a degree, but every decision has the actual, the perceived consequence and the actual consequence so the perceived consequence from everyone was you mess up even even once you're done. Hmm. Actual consequence ended up being no one got COVID, thankfully. But another facet of that actual consequence is morale was just devastated. I feel like this is a microcosm 
you know, in our conversation right now, and it just you're describing a microcosm of what happened to the whole country. Yeah, in, on many levels. Like, I, I I do recall having friends and acquaintances on, on Facebook and stuff, and you know, saying things like, "Not one more death," and da, 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 and and I felt like I couldn't say anything. Of course, now I'm telling the world, right? right. <laughs> Which is kind of ironic, but I I just truly felt. Like what I wanted to say was, do you understand? I mean, th- these are the very same people that are sent were sending out articles a few months prior, where like, oh my gosh, like men, you know, they, they commit suicide because they can't make the bills match, and you know, if we just gave them a thousand more, you know, gave out a thousand more bucks a month to people, they'd be fine, and da-da, you know, and now you're talking about tens, hundreds of thousands of people losing their jobs, more millions of people losing their job, hundreds of thousands of people losing their businesses. Yeah. Like, like you don't think there's going to be consequences for that. And all right, this is actually too political. I might actually cut <laughs> this part out. But yeah, it was fascinating how, yeah, there were major, it's, it's very interesting how complicated things get very fast. And I think sometimes people in charge don't understand that. I mean, it's, uh-huh. and, and then the other thing too, not only do you have to, because you can't, like you said, leadership's going to screw up. I mean, I, I've, Every podcast I've recorded, I've told a story of me screwing up. I haven't done it yet, but I, we keep talking long enough. I'm right. going to find a screw up I did. Like, oh, man. You know, so um, I always try to include at least one screw up just so people know we're all screw ups in the end. Yeah. But the I think the real trick, though, is even as a leader, if you screw up and know you screwed up, like own it. Realize like, hey, I did this, but make it better. Right. Don't do the same mistake twice. I mean, I was just talking about that today where, you know, I had a captain who I told him exactly how to get out of this dock and line up the the channel like a runway. Yeah. yeah. You know, using a small boat, push your bow with a small boat, line up like a runway and go straight. Go straight down this narrow channel. I mean, you only had a few feet on either side before you'd hit these little plastic buoys. Right, right. I did it 20 times without a problem. No problem at all. Try to explain it to him once. Oh, I explained it to him multiple times. I drew drawings and I talked about it. We went out there. Like, I mean, I did everything I could think of short of physically taking the boat out and doing it with him. I I couldn't do that for whatever reason. And he cut the corner the first time, hit one of the buoys. And and, and (laughs) fair enough. You know, we all have accidents. But he tried to do it like it was a 30-foot boat. This is like a 100-plus foot boat. So it's entirely different. Right, right. It has momentum that a 30-foot boat doesn't have. You can't cut a corner like that. He did the same mistake twice. The exact same mistake. And and in the second time, he caught the the little, the, the two little plastic buoys there. He caught one of the buoys. He caught the chain it was attached to on the propeller. It wound around the shaft and seized up the engine. So the engine stopped. Topped. Now, the reason I had this captain taking over the ship for a day or two was because my wife and I were celebrating our first anniversary. <laughs> And so she had gone, it was on the East Coast, and right. she had rented a room and a castle, and it was it's this like, wonderful thing. I, like, I can't leave the, the fucking kids alone for one fucking uh, day. To, I get a call, and it's from the second mate. And I'm like, I'm looking at my phone, like, God dang it. 
that means the first mate right. and captain are disposed. Something must be wrong. So I'm like, I better answer this. I said, hey, how's it going? He's like, not so good. The boat's on the rocks. I'm like, what? <laughs> and so I'd get down there an hour an hour later. An hour later, the boat's still like you know, brushing. On the rocks. On the rocks. I'm like, oh, God, what do I do? And luckily, by that point, they had actually gotten off the rocks. But now the boat's adrift. And it's one of those situations where it's like, okay, do I – do I get on board in a situation that I haven't been present in for over an hour? Like, like sometimes you can make things worse. worse. And it oh, yeah, like, having too many cooks in the kitchen. Yes, yeah, so like the boat was going slow. Worst case scenario, at the, the way it was drifting, it was going to drift into a mud bank. It's like, I can, I can live with that. kind of. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, like, so it's like, I'm just going to let this kind of play out. And then I forget the actual sequence of events. Um, no, that's that's what happened. They did The guy, so... One of the sailors, I think, came up like, I don't know why the guy didn't do it. it finally, the guy drops an anchor. Mm-hmm. Good, good idea. <laughs> like, good idea. You're drifting into a mud bank. You should probably drop an anchor and stop your momentum. So he dropped – so this guy, I think it was one of the – like a volunteer. Mm-hmm. I actually think it was a volunteer. He's like, you should probably drop the anchor. He goes, good idea. Drops the anchor, blah, blah, blah. So at that point, I'm like, okay, this, this situation is stable. So I went in on a small boat. I said, I'm in command. Uh, well, first of all, I asked, what's going on? Uh, yeah. Okay, blah, blah, blah. I got his take on it, saw what was going on. I'm like, okay, this is the situation. So basically, long story short, I used the anchor and the small boat and kind of – Repositioned yourself? It, it's hard to explain without imagery, but basically the anchor was there to sort of it, – it's it's kind of a trick where you, you pull back and the bow will come in. And then – because I didn't have an engine, right? Yeah. So, so I could only use the – The small boat. The small boat. Um, but I kind of used the anchor. I don't even know how to – it was kind of intuitive. I'm not going to lie. Like I, I don't know fully how to explain it. But basically I used the anchor to sort of – how the hell did I do it? I don't remember. <laughs> I did it. I got the boat to the dock using the anchor and the small boat. I don't fully recall how. But it made perfect sense at the time and I made it work. <laughs> but but That's- it took a while. It was just like 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 somehow the, the anchor would – like pivot the bow in. Oh, that, maybe that was it. Maybe the banker would pivot the bow in, and then I pushed on the stern with the small boat. I think mm. that that maybe that's what I did. I can't remember. I mean, that's so, half of sailing, right? Just flying by the seat of your pants. Oh yeah, but you got to know the physics behind it. That's oh the yeah. Thing. But a lot of the fi- so okay, folks. Oh, this happens every episode. All right, nautical knowledge and nonsense. This applies to any vessel on the world. Doesn't matter how big or how small. So you need to know the basic physics, but you also have to kind of you know them, but you have to intuitively feel it. And I think that's the part some people miss. There's like some people I think have a disjoint between feeling it. I can't right. explain it. And there's there's nothing on God's green earth I can do. To it's f- just something you got to know. Yeah. It's like just if if you don't know where the boat's going to go, I don't know how to tell you how to make that happen. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's like I just like, – so, so I believe maybe that's why I did where I was using a small boat. But I didn't – I don't know. It was complicated. It was not simple. It was not a simple maneuver. And And – but eventually we got lines on and we were able to warp our way in. It was fine. Um, but yeah, so I don't remember how the hell I did that, honestly. But I do remember when I spoke to the fellow and he was a very, I mean, otherwise he was pretty competent. You know, he had a he had a full three-page write-up of what he did wrong. And I was like, yep, 100%. Yep, yep, did that wrong. The two things he got wrong, though, that he didn't mention were he said we had bad communication with the crew on the first time he hit the buoy. You know, that's why he blamed the crew. Yeah. Did he have a muster with the crew? Did you talk to the crew? Did you figure out where the communication problem was? Well, no. No. Like, well, it why, sounds like the communication problem was you. Yeah, like like you need to communicate with your crew. If 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 the problem is in the communication, that's fine. 
communicate with the crew. Anytime that's happened to me where like we had a miscommunication, dock line handling, whatever. I mean, depending how bad it was, like I would have a full crew master, like just so we're all on the same page. When I say this, it means this, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. And then the second thing he did was, and I swear it wasn't just my ego talking here, but he, um, as in getting upset, my ego getting upset, but he, you know, I said, why didn't you do it my way? Like at least the second time, why didn't you just, I told you how to do it. Why'd you try to cut the corner? He's like, well, your way isn't the only way to do things. I'm like, my way worked 20 times. It worked I mean, 20 times. Your way failed twice. <laughs> like, I mean, like, there's more than one way to skin a cat, but if yeah. somebody tells you how to do it, like. It just, I, I mean, well, and especially if you try it your way and it fails. Like, Don't try like, it. Be humble, folks. Like, you, you know, let your ego go. I mean, just do it the way you're told and maybe you can find a better way. I'm totally open to that idea. <laughs> uh, what is it? Is a definition of insanity is trying the same thing twice and expecting different results. Well, you can't do that. Yeah. The, unless the variables have changed. And that's, that's a, actually, that's also a captain's lesson. Yeah. Folks, folks, listen, if they listen to this long enough, they're going to get a lot of captain's lessons. So one of the lessons I always teach people is unless your variables have changed, you actually can't do, if you failed the first time, you can't do the same thing twice. And, and a lot of people I find they tend, so like you go in, like I went in at this angle at this speed, you know, and all, if, if that didn't work and the variables haven't changed as in the wind has not died down, the current has not, you know, changed, like eased up or whatever, like you're going to fail the same freaking way. It's not, <laughs> it's physics, you know, like, like unless you change some variable on your own, you know, maybe you need to gun it harder. Maybe you need to slow down. Like maybe, I mean, there's so many maybes. You know, throw in a sail. God, I mean, like, like get help. Dude, you got a small boat. Come over here. Push, push on the bow. Just push. I don't, you know, I won't, I won't sue you. You know, like, right, right, right. whatever. Like, oh, it's, but you, but the key is you got to be humble enough to ask for that or, or, or acknowledge that that might be the case. And then, and, but some of it, I just, some of it you can't explain. Like, I don't know how to, I've seen people in slow motion get into accidents where I'm like, why are you just look like, like. Can't you see what your boat's doing? Right. <laughs> you know? and, and, so, and, and and there are times too where I'm sure I know people have actually probably before this interview is released, I'm going to do an episode on backseat captaining. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's going to be how much I hate backseat captaining because I know people have done it to me. It's like, you're not in my shoes. Like if I choose to let the boat hit something at half a knot because that's better than me going for it and risking hitting something at five knots. But maybe making it out, I'm gonna go with 100 percent certainty that I'm not gonna damage something. Right. Why would right. I? Why would I speed up the boat five knots and maybe make it? Yeah, was, oh, screw it. Half. Uh, get the fenders over. Yeah, great. <laughs> uh, half a knot. All right. Situation stable. Reassess. What do we do? Like, right. not a big deal at all. You know, as long as you don't. <laughs> you know, people get so nervous. It's really funny. Yeah. Oh, fair. anyway, I'm sorry. We're, we're getting off track. Your, your Navy story. But. Yeah. Uh, I forget what our reason was. Um, we were talking about COVID. We were talking about oh, the yeah. various the, the various procedures and just how hard it is to be in charge. Uh, yeah. I, 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 again, like definitely yeah. above my pay grade, like everyone on board definitely had their own opinion on how things should be done. And part of the captain's responsibility is hearing that and kind of cutting through the crap. How they choose to do that is their own style of captaining. I will say some versions are better than others. There is definitely uh, an infamous line of, I don't track, ships suck. 
What? So the the question was about morale and how the captain tracked morale basically across the ship. And it it basically boiled down to, I don't listen to complaints that don't affect the operational ability of the ship. I don't track ship suck was more or less what they had said. But obviously the sound bite for the ship was, I don't track ship suck. Like, suck it up. Could they have handled it better? Sure. Could they have said a different word? Sure. Would I have wanted to be in their position when they had to make that statement? Fuck no. Yeah. One thing I've noticed, uh, too, where people... It's very frustrating as a leader when when you make things better, like when you address the suck and you make things better and you actually follow through on what people say, the very often those very people that complain the most have the least it's gratitude. True. And it is if, if you are one of those deckhands or like whatever worker you are where you're the worker bee and you're not the boss and, and the boss goes out of their way to help you, please show a little freaking gratitude because you're not going to get help in the future if, if you treat like it just feels horrible right it's like you bend over backwards to help somebody and then they're just kind of like well you should have done that in the first place like f you man i yeah. I, I didn't know right it's like Great. yeah you can always do like hindsight is twenty twenty. of course you can yeah. always do if you had done something different in the past it would have been so much better of course yeah. i you can say that until the cows come home and obviously reflecting on what my captain did and didn't do. I do have personal complaints. Am I glad that no one on board got COVID and what like administrative and political shitstorm that would have been if somebody did? Mm, yeah, that's true. Yes, I'm glad. But I will still say at the time, and, and even retrospect, it it sucked. Total segue backwards, if, mm. if I may mm-hmm. uh, just get off COVID for a second here. I, I want to go back to the, uh, I, I know it sounds like a huge segue, except it's kind of important. So so the Iranian airlines mm-hmm. and, and the shooting down, Okay, I know it's uncomfortable, no. but um, I just want to point out to folks listening, this may never come up in topics, uh, in conversation again for who knows whenever. Uh, so and I I do intend to put a link to that BBC video so so people can see it, but I, I want to give my take on it because um, you know the comments were interesting in the comment section where I, I felt that was inaccurate. Like terrorists usually aren't almost to the point of tears, you right? Know, and, and crying and sobbing and showing true remorse and regret for what they did. But the BBC they did how however this particular video at the end of it they said they interviewed the captain. And he claims that he would have, I think the video, it's been a while since I've listened to it. So I might get, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but I think the video said they questioned the captain and he said he would do the same thing again if. Given the same information? They don't say that. They leave that part out. Okay. So they just say the captain said he would do the same thing again. I, I. I would be I would very much like to know the actual questions asked because my my gut instinct was yeah given the same information would you make the same decision again yeah, the answer is probably yes yeah I mean like so 
But taken out of context, which I believe the BBC might be doing. Sorry, BBC, you're, I'm not the biggest fan. Um, I mean, they do good work, but some of the stuff I think is uh, pretty biased. So anyway, I think they're taking out of context there. That's my gut instinct. I could mm-hmm. be wrong, but I'm pretty sure. The other thing I wanted to point out was randomly in college, library. I don't know how why I was reading the Senate hearings. I think it was Senate hearings. <laughs> um, kind of random. I, I just would do random stuff. It was weird. Uh, but I, I I remember reading, I think it was a Senate hearing. Don't quote me on that. But it just happened to be the particular hearing. And I only did this once. This is the weird part. Like, I kind of feel like stuff happens in the universe that just directs. Makes, like, yeah. I was like, why am I reading this? But I do recall re- one day I looked up Senate hearings and read about, and they were talking about Iran. And they voted to get, I forget how many millions it was. It was in the tens or hundreds of millions uh, reparations directly like I think the intent was to give it to the families that lost loved ones so the US government paid the Iranian government for the loss their, of life their loss of life which is I mean this is horrible right so I'm glad I hope we did I'm glad we did I don't think I'm trying to think what, what Iran did there's a few things they've done to us I, I don't think Iran ever compensated the US embassy and I could be wrong. I could be 100% wrong on this. But I don't think Iran, the Iranian government compensated us for holding our U.S. embassy staff and Marines and whatnot hostage for 444 days um, after their um, their government took over. So, yeah, history is interesting. But but I just I feel like it's important to kind of give some of that context. I, I, I could be wrong. Maybe Iran did pay us for that time. I don't think so. I don't think they paid us for the... The guy they murdered, they, they executed or murdered or however you want to call it. I, I think he might have been CIA. They thought he was CIA. I don't know the details there, but uh, it's complicated. So, yeah, seeing that Destroyer crew, I'll, I'll, I'll leave a link to the video. You guys can, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I guess, uh, what's the word? Front, not front loading. I'm, I'm creating a bias, but <laughs> but, uh, but try to use your own, you know, um, just try to use your own brain, basically. Um, and it may not all be vi- visible in the video or the the que- you know the way things are being told to you. You got to kind of read behind the scenes a little bit. A lot of this stuff it's very tricky. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and like me speaking as an individual, obviously not a representative of the Navy or any part of the government. Global politics is such a complicated issue. Uh, uh, my only judgment that I can I can say. Uh, on any government it, it, you should just be the the bigger person and I understand that is a, a very difficult thing to do uh, especially everyone wants to put up that front of I'm strong I'm powerful don't don't fuck with me but there are are so many issues in the world that could just in my uh, humble opinion could be just not be an issue if if you just took a step if they just took a step back and looked it's like am i making the right decision am i actually bettering my country by doing this not not am i looking powerful am i looking strong do i make the other country fear me it am i helping Am I legitimately helping myself and my people by doing this? When you said they, 
Were you referring to the leadership of one country or were you referring to both countries involved? That literally any country involved. And, okay. and this is... and this There's is, a big difference there. Right. And like, it, it, it's hard. There are... Most of the time when the U.S. government shows weakness, it tends to end very poorly, I find. Right. It, and, it causes more problems than not. Right. In and, many cases. Not all cases. Not all cases. And, and again, yeah. this and is... We shouldn't be bullies either, obviously. Right. And again, this is personal opinion as a as a citizen not representative of the navy or the department of defense everyone is human whether they are part of your group of humans they are still human they just want to live their life as comfortably as possible and while some will take advantage of that fact to bully manipulate and oppress people. I personally believe that the majority of humans don't. They don't want to do that. They don't want to bully you. They don't want to hurt you in any way. And it's, it is someone else telling you that they do that makes you think that. It's not them actually trying to threaten you it's not them trying to harm you it is a difference of perspective it's them trying to keep themselves comfortable if they did hurt you or harmed you or your family or your friends in any way the problem is everyone is locked into their own perspective and I don't really know what else I could add to that. It, I try to live a philosophy under the assumption that if someone hurts you, it's not under malicious intent. It is under ignorance. Yeah, unless they're a sadist. Right. <laughs> I mean, unless they I mean, really, really enjoy hurting people. And then, right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously. Obviously, there will always. I might be want to stop him. Like, I'm just saying. <laughs> There's always there, right, there. There will always be somebody who likes to hurt people because they are a sadist. Yeah. I will. It's like 140. Yeah, yeah, I I will concede to that. But it is so much easier, in my personal experience on this planet Earth, that if someone does something that hurts you, it is not out of malice. It is out of ignorance. And I don't mean that like, out of like willful ignorance that they don't want to learn. It's that they just didn't consider your perspective. Not maliciously, but just because the only perspective they know in life is their own. That's so tricky. It is tricky. And yeah. it definitely gives a lot of consider, like, not consider, it, it, it gives a lot of leeway to other people for sure but it helps me mentally because it it helps me think that there are less people out there to get me no that's probably a good attitude yeah like <laughs> a little less paranoid yeah right makes sense yeah in that sense it makes perfect sense yeah i definitely learned i i you know i didn't realize the this is a really interesting conversation it's again pretty philosophical but i didn't realize the importance of reputation you know, especially since I, I had no intent, no intentions of becoming a leader in the Tallship community or anything like that. And had I 
had I realized that there are people that would actively try to damage reputation, because it's just something I wouldn't actively try to do. Not not in a malicious way. I might be honest. I might be brutally honest to the point where it's like, yeah, this person's a total, like, like they're just incompetent. Like, what are you going to do? Like, like they, they can't tie a knot. They can't, yeah. you know, this... This person will be drunk as crazy and and leave the boat and you're never going to see him for two days. Like, like that person probably shouldn't be on your ship, right? So, right. So something like that, I'd be honest, and you know, but I'm not trying to damage the reputation. That just a, reality. Yeah, there's a difference between you damaging someone else's reputation by actions you take and them damaging their own reputation by Precisely. actions they take. Precisely. But what I didn't realize was some people. I mean, they've grown up in situations where. They have to be manipulative to survive. They have to be violent and, and aggressive and, and give that yeah, persona it, to live and survive. Yeah, it, it's a, uh, a learned uh, survival mechanism. Yeah. Uh, and even in the day, I've met people like that. that like their, their um, initial front was, I'm the asshole. I'm the fucking douchebag. Like, don't fuck with me. Yeah. And... Nine times out of ten, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to interact with you then. But like the one in ten, it's like, well, I have to interact with you. Like, and you talk to him, it's like, why are you an asshole? Like, <laughs> you're like, d- like deep down, you're actually a good person. Why you're angry makes sense. But why you're angry at me doesn't make, I haven't done anything to you. And I understand that, like, that's very, I guess egocentric like i haven't done anything to them so like why are they but well with the weird part if i may interrupt the weird part is when those defense mechanisms are i mean you're kind of leading into it where it's no longer useful it's actually counter to what you're trying to do and and i've seen it where people who have those defense mechanisms where like they're they're worried everybody's talking about them or they need to be aggressive they need to be the tough guy or girl uh, tough guy or gal and um tough guy or woman i guess maybe. They're, tough they're, just being, anyway, they're just being tough they're just being tough they have to be tough and so so anytime but where that being tough is actually a negative thing and because nobody's talking about them behind their back nobody thinks they're a bad person or or like it it, it becomes a negative it's it's it just ends up ruining their life yeah it's like instead of saving them it's like in the long you know when you're around a certain group right it's like well i don't want to interact with them because they're fucking dick like and And i don't know how to fully get people out of that i mean how do you because it's so ingrained i mean it helped them survive like how would you (laughs) well how do you tell people just don't eat like i I don't know right and and i guess that is a, a bigger like I guess societal issue with mental health in general, because for some people that is a necessary skill that they needed to develop to make sure they had food on the table or whatever they needed the next day. In the Navy, though, the the Navy provides me three meals a day, whether I like it or not. Mm -hmm. Like I can choose not to eat them, but they're still there. They provide me a paycheck every month, whether it's enough money for this economy is a totally different question, but most of us, they give us a place to sleep, appreciate it, free healthcare, appreciate it, free dental, appreciate it. Like, but you also 
as we described, you have a hell of a lot of responsibility. Right. Uh, And that is the trade, right? Is they give you a lot, but they expect a lot out of you. But I've never, I've, I've never been anywhere in the Navy where they expect you to be an asshole. Hmm. Like you can be an asshole and get your job done. Sure. But I've ever been anywhere where they expect you and Barring the jobs where it requires you to be an asshole, a gate guard, a, an instructor, <laughs> um, like I'm every like, bosun I ever met on yeah, some level, right? Like, <laughs> I'm sorry, I, the no, bosuns no, I met are lovely. Sorry, guys. <laughs> you guys, you guys are great, but there is something to be said about the surly bosun because, like, oh, cool, dang it, they just scratched it on the paints everywhere. Oh, the right. boat's rotting. Yeah. Right, yeah. like, and maybe this is just my experience as my job is an electronics technician is like if i'm an asshole to the electronics they don't give a fuck Hmm. if i'm nice to the electronics they don't give a fuck so what's the point in me wasting the energy of being an asshole on the electronics yeah somebody's like oh yeah it's not working this way it's like okay well did you turn it off and back on well no (laughs) i'm gonna be a little bit an asshole but do i need to be no and they call that the customer service voice wow (laughs) <laughs> um, customer service on name shit that's awesome my job doesn't require that i be an asshole to anybody if anything it incentivizes that i be as cordial and respectful as possible where there's some breakdown and i'll admit is uh the two definitions of respect which some people are may or may not be aware of respect can be defined as two different ways very very paraphrased is i respect you or you you do something i need to do and i respect you as a person or you do something that you're required to do and i respect you as a person or how do i word it It, the 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 two different versions of you should respect me because i'm above you so you should respect my knowledge and my authority and the inverse which a lot of bad leadership exemplifies is since you don't, I'm not going to respect you, your knowledge and expertise. So I'm not going to treat you as a person. And I'm, I'm butchering the fuck out of that. I'll have who, to, who said it? Do you know? Uh, I honestly, it is something that I heard from one of my, um, one of my chiefs, huh. uh, E7. And it was, one of his like not parting words but one of the one of the final conversations i had with him that one of the hardest things is because he was an old salt in his navy or he'd like to say in his in his navy is if i could respect that you didn't do something but i could still respect you as a person but some people get it twisted and it's like because i don't respect the fact that you didn't do it i don't treat you as a person is basically how it goes yeah uh, a lot i wouldn't say all but a lot of older older leadership falls into that trap hmm. is like they expect their respect because they are above me in the chain of command which is fair like i am supposed to divert to their responsibility leadership and knowledge like yeah um, salute the rank not the person right salute the rank but it it should work inversely because no captain knows everything that's going on in their ship nor should they expect to know everything 
That's a lie. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I'm kidding. I, I, like, yeah. <laughs> I, I would hear stories where like you guys did what? One time yeah. I had a, a shipmate who put a he played the harp up aloft. I was like, what were you guys thinking? <laughs> Like, why? They're showing me pictures of this. Like, don't show the captain pictures of that. I have plausible deniability. Damn it. No. But, yeah, like, obviously, the the bigger, especially ship, as you get larger, you can't reasonably expect to know every inner working of your ship. Of course, of course. Uh, you wouldn't hire someone to fix your engines if you could do it yourself. Yeah, no, and and the limitation. I think it's 150 people. It's kind of the limit where you can actually have that a, personal, a personal response, that personal relationship with them. Yeah, and it's, that's it's pretty universal across humanity, I believe. Yeah, and that's and that's fine. Like, so obviously, as the ship gets bigger, it is you can't do it. It's can't impossible. It, it, it's impossible to know everyone, and it's impossible. But I can even if I don't know somebody, I know like in the navy, like you know what someone's job is immediately because how we address each other is by our our rate and then rank oh interesting so all right so let's it, let's have a meeting like like okay so yeah. we're meeting in the corridor you've never met me i've never met you so i, I in your uniform i can see your rank insignia okay. so i i know if you're an officer i know you're an enlisted i know how high up you are on the officer enlisted ladder so how do you get my attention if I'm just like low enlisted? Like low enlisted. Uh, so in the Navy, it's broken up basically into three tiers. Mm-hmm. There is seamen, your petty officers, and your chiefs. Okay. And based on your... or Petty officers are like non-commissioned officers? Yes. Or, okay. Non-commissioned officers. So, so seamen, that, petty officers, chiefs. Yep. So um, seamen in our camouflage uniform and i believe it, uh, it's been such a long time since i've been a seaman i don't and i never wore the the coveralls with the rank or no in the coveralls they'll still have uh their rank but um in their camouflage uniform they have no rank displayed okay so you can just seaman and then they'll have their name on their uniform so seaman timmy whatever seaman right. blah 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 petty officer and the Navy is displayed with a crow, or we call it a crow. It's an eagle, and then a number of chevrons. So one, two, or three chevrons. And it works backwards the way you think. Hmm. So if it's one chevron, you're a third class. Two chevrons, you're a second class. Three chevrons, you're a first class. So more, more, more bars, more authority. Right. Okay. But then the numbers are backwards. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. Right. So I personally, I am... A second class petty officer. My job or my rate is ET. So you I would be referred to as an ET two. Okay. As a quick, simple, and then if they if there was other ET twos around, ET two Wilson. Got it. Super simple. Or supposed to be. Okay. That's uh, that's really interesting. Yeah, stuff you as a, a I'm not a land lover, but as a as layman. Yeah. You know, coming from the civilian world, it's, yeah, stuff you don't think about. I've often wondered, like, how the hell, I mean, it's always just fascinating me how, like, how do, how do they know all these ranks? How do they know, like, <laughs> right? it must be very confusing, but but obviously if you're in that environment, I get Yeah, you, you pick it up fairly quickly, and yeah. then... Um, well, it has to be instilled, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, training, like... It's drill, drill, drill. Drill, 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 right. And then for chiefs, it's an anchor is chief. Chief petty officer is the full title, but okay. chief. Yeah. 
It has a star, which I will complain that it is very difficult to see a black star on a black anchor yep, in right. a camouflaged uniform. Uh, that is Senior Chief, and they will get super salty if you don't say Senior. <laughs> and then much easier to identify on the current uniform is Master Chief, which is two stars with the anchor. Okay. And they are top uh, enlisted on a ddg you will have like one maybe two of them ddg oh destroyer oh, destroyer sorry, sorry. yeah just yeah. ddg is the shorthand for destroyer guided missile okay and then super easy for officer doesn't matter what you see uh you can just say sir there we go thank goodness you could just say sir or ma'am and then for the captain you say captain yeah um regardless of rank actually because we actually do have a rank of captain but the high enlisted uh, or the high enlisted highest officer on the ship is going to be your captain no matter what. Okay. You still call them captain because that is their pos- their position. And when I was on my COVID deployment, my captain actually wasn't a captain. They mm-hmm. were an O5, which is just one rank shy of captain. Interesting. All right. Yeah. So more, you know, uh, <laughs> Well, there you go. Yeah. So uh, we're, I think we're going to wrap up pretty soon here. Okay. But I got one question to ask you. Have you seen the movie Greyhound with Tom Hanks? I have not seen Greyhound. seen Top Gun. All right. Every, everyone's seen Top Gun. I would hope so. Yeah, it was a great documentary. I love it. I <laughs> love it. I, I always tell people that. Like, that and The Rock. Like, man, I, I'm sure Navy SEALs look at that and study it. Like, talk about case studies. Right, like, right. God, what do you do when you're talking to somebody, they're 20 feet away, and you got your machine gun pointed at them, you just talk more. Talk more. Talk more. That's what I would do. Right. Navy SEALs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, great documentary. So, yeah, Greyhound. No, it's, um, it's I, man, I, I, I want to get all your destroyer buddies together and watch it, see what you think. It's <laughs> really cool. I enjoyed it. I'll, it, have to, I'll have to check it out. Uh, and I'll leave a fun fact for you. Um, please. Have you ever seen the show The Last Ship? No. What is that? Uh, uh, it, yeah, write it down. Uh, show about a destroyer in the U.S. Navy after... I can't even remember the original premise. Basically, the destroyer is cut off from communications from the United States while they're out. And ensuing shit happens. But... I'm, I'm sorry, what era is this? Is this... Uh, the 2010s. Oh, so recent. Okay. 20, 2010s. Yeah. Um, this is a movie. Uh, it is a. It was a show on TNT. I so think. a series. Yeah, it was a series. Uh, one of the seasons, uh, like one or two of the episodes, was actually filmed on my ship, ah. the William P. Lawrence. Before I got there, but uh, in the credits of the episodes, it says, "Thank you for the William P. Lawrence for letting us into your CIC for certain like blah blah blah." That's awesome. Yeah. Have you been aboard any of? Because I know we still have a few World War II destroyers left. World War II era destroyers, right? Yeah. Have you been aboard any of them? Uh, like toured them? I mean, uh, so I've been on the Missouri, um, which it, is the battleship. Missouri. Yeah, 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 the battleship Missouri. It's basically a requirement if you're out in Pearl Harbor. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, Arizona's right next to it. Of course, the the beginning and the end of the that. war. Yeah, yeah. Very, especially being in the Navy, it's very interesting being there. They have the wall of everyone who was on the ship that passed, but. What a lot of people may not know is the sailors that survived, they can choose to have their ashes interned with the ship, with their former shipmates. And when they do, their name is added to the list of those interned. Hmm. 
So very interesting. I'd, I'd say touching. Yeah, very, very touching. I've never been part of the ceremony. I missed one by a day, actually. It's very, again, especially in the Navy, it's very unique experience being there. And then the Missouri right next to it is also a unique experience being there. I can't even think of the word to describe it. It's very surreal, especially out in Pearl Harbor. Like it's very, it's very much drilled into you, the history of, of the base. I just thought of this because I was thinking of all the services and like, you know, since World War II, the army has been in many scraps, many fights, many wars. Right. You know, like Korea, Vietnam, uh, the major ones, Gulf War, Iraq, Afghanistan, and then many, many smaller ones right. between Granada. Uh, I mean, we've been places we'll probably never find out about. And, uh, uh, sorry, that's not true. The arm, If it's an army moving in, we probably know about it. <laughs> but <laughs> small, special forces, we probably won't know about everything. Right. So the yeah, army definitely has had major battles. Marine Corps has had major battles. The Air Force, obviously fighting over Korea, fighting over Vietnam, huge Right. Battles, right? Navy, not so much. Do you think is... Because I'm, I'm trying to... I'm, I'm just wondering if the other services... Obviously, the services remember their history. Marine Corps takes great pride in what they did in right. World War II. Rightly so. But do you think... Does the Navy put more emphasis on World War II because of that? Uh, more than other services, perhaps? Uh, I mean, because you think about it, the ships... I mean, they... Like I was watching, you know, Greyhound, and mm. I mean, you watch Dust Boat, and like, yeah, the, the technology's changed tremendously, but also hasn't. I mean, a big ship is a big ship, right? Like big certain sh- things, big ship, big guns, it's made of iron. Like, yeah, you know, you're launching planes. All right, now we're launching jet planes, and you know, but and shooting missiles, but it's like you're still launching planes, right? Uh, still have submarines that shoot torpedoes, right? So. On some level, it's kind of like, you know, whereas like Vietnam, you know, we're kind of using the same weaponry, sort of. The infantry grunt is. Right. Versus World War II, where it's very different. Yeah. Uh, uh, of course, even that's not fair, because we still use mortars and right. 50 caliber and, machine guns that and, are and, essentially and, World War II machine guns. Right. And even it, so, and the standard uh, service pistol of many of the armed forms. For, uh, many of the armed forces is still the 1911. Maybe the better question is this. Did you get a lot of value? Did it give you a sense of purpose and context, understanding that history? Did, did you feel like, and it's so hard to say, but like, because I've known, do you feel like you'd be better off, you'd be better in action knowing that other people have done the same thing in much worse conditions than you're probably going to experience? So, and that's uh, like, honestly, a really great question. So while the Navy has remained largely the same technological advances have definitely vastly improved the context of a lot of what we're doing like radar i'm i'm a radar technician that is my job my bread and butter to the navy a radar tech didn't exist in world war ii it was a at the time a, a very new untested technology in in pearl harbor there was one radar station and interest, it actually did pick up the planes um, that Japan had launched, but it, they, nobody, everybody thought it was a, a, I guess, a glitch in the system, and it, it, they quickly went away just because the 
the technology was so rudimentary. I also heard there was a B was a B seventeens. They were bringing in the squadron B seventeens. So yeah, thought it might have been that. Yeah, it could have. Well. There was a lot of uh, so now with the technology, some of the radar systems that we have now are ridiculously, and I mean ridiculously accurate. Mm-hmm. Like their the range of coverage is to the absurd um, because they want to future proof themselves to a degree, but. Like I, I was, I initially mentioned radar technicians didn't exist as a job in the Navy until 1948 is the very beginnings of what you could call an electronics technician. It was simply radar men. And as time went on, it slowly diverted, split off into electronics technicians, some others split off into other job classifications. So it is while... I do know in the past, some definitely had it a lot harder. Bosun's mates, gunnery men, engine men working on old diesel engines. I can't necessarily, I can relate to a degree because everybody has some basic responsibilities as a sailor, um, as a firefighter, or like, you know, like you need to make sure you can repair the ship. Otherwise, like you're not going to have anywhere to, to fucking be. Yep. Um, <laughs> um, and that's the hard part about being in the Navy is like, you have to live on the thing that if it doesn't work, it's not going to support you for very long. You try really hard not to quote that in the, the title of this episode. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's, it's always been. Yeah, it's universal across all all ships. Yeah, so I can, I definitely have a respect for those who came before me. But with the progression of technology, there are things that the sailors in the past couldn't even begin to attempt to work on. And I'm not tooting my own horn to keep, make sure I have, you know, job security. But we have computer systems that can, accurately launch missiles or our our guns within very very tight margins Mm -hmm. which just weren't available and that stress to keep that precision is definitely on where other sailors and ships in the past definitely had to come up with some sneaky workarounds to get some of that precision I think a good example is uh, World War II D-Day. They had a whole bunch of destroyers, battleships supporting uh, the land crews, mm-hmm. and they were to be they were supposed to shoot all of the bunkers and other guns along the shore. Only one ship actually managed to hit any of their targets because uh, the other ships, keeping a safe distance away to make sure that we didn't lose a ship trying to support the land units. The only ship that did manage to do it only did so by flooding half of the ship to add the extra tilt to the guns so they could shoot farther. Wow. It, it is a wild, wild account. He flooded half the ship to make sure he hit his targets. And not something I could have thought of ever. But... Did- 
But the gun, I mean, I, like I'm thinking about the bat- the battleships, you can angle those weapons up. Like at some point in the trajectory, you're going to lose range. Right. There's a there's a perfect right angle. It's all trigonometry. Right. It's all trigonometry. But if you have it at a lower angle, you have more power shooting it. You lose less angular momentum. Right. So if you have the guns fully perpendicular with the ship, you're getting the most power out of your guns. For Okay. So they were trying to get the max power and it, rather than the, shooting the target down, which had a lot of, obviously, the, the, anybody can see pictures of the German bunkers. They were like covered in sand and concrete. I mean, you're not. Right. So they were trying to penetrate into those bunkers. I, I believe that is exactly what they were trying to do. Whoa. Like, and they were it, still out of range? And they were the only ones to hit. I You can look it up. I can't remember the name of the ship right now. And I oh, know I'm going to get flack for not remembering because it's the only ship that managed to do it. And All right, folks. We'll try to include this in the show notes. Well, this is really interesting. So for those of you that are history, big history buffs like me, it's, yeah, yeah, like, we'll, we'll, we'll try to include that. The, the Navy definitely, it, it definitely breeds a, a respect and a grandeur in what we've done in the past. Yeah. But it also... And for me, me particularly, it has bred a respect for what we can do now. Mm-hmm. Because World War II, we didn't have missiles that you could shoot into the upper atmosphere and and hit somebody a continent away. It just wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't feasible. It wasn't possible. And now we have the technology that I partly am responsible to making sure that works. Yeah. Uh, so there, there's reverence for the past, but there's also that need to work forward. Granted, I have seen some old technology on some ships, old technology. But the reason why we have some of that old technology is it works. Yeah. It, it, you try modernizing it, it just makes it more co- needlessly complicated. Is it frustrating? Oh, for sure. <laughs> Can you give an example? I mean, like, uh, do you still have the sound-powered phones? And, and yeah, we have really? sound, we have sound-powered phones. Um, That's awesome. Uh, we have sound-powered phones. They're not those our, fo- so for folks that can't visualize that. That's those are the wind-up ones where you're like, Shh, the Germans are attacking. Like they wind them up before they uh, talk. Right. Yeah. right. So we have we have sound-powered phones. They're not our primary communication system, but they're backup. They're there if we definitely if, if shit hits the fan. Oh, that's awesome. Um, we have old signal lamps that okay. it that you flash Morse code you Morse code to another ship if our communication systems go down. We have flag bearers that know all of the. Yes, I had a chief mate who that was his job. He was he was like the fastest person. He he was took great pride in it. Yeah. Actually, um, he we, said the limitation was the. It was the person writing. Right. It wasn't like the flag person could be faster than the actual, actual person who could, could respond, write it down. Right. Which was fascinating to yeah. me. Yeah. Um, one of our one of our old um, quartermasters, the people who are in charge of driving the ship, which is weird just based off of name, mm-hmm. he he managed to star night or starlight navigate us from Hawaii to San Diego within 20 miles. So like celestial navigation. Yeah, celestial navigation. That's, That's great. Yeah, yeah, within within 20 miles, which is using nothing but a sextant and a star chart, which is, in in modern that it's ridiculous. 
like the i think the navy's accuracy was it was uh, the tolerance was much higher than 20 miles but uh, he he got us there just wow. to just to show that he could like it so yeah i have a respect to old technology i have respect of new technology so yeah there's there's a lot to be said about that that's that's actually really neat that some of that old technology still is very useful and that's that's pretty humbling that's, that's yeah great. it's it, it that was part of the the like respecting the the past is like you you knew that sailors long since retired or out or even gone that they were you used some of the technology that they did and it, it was interesting for sure well, and more than interesting though, practical, like, cause I remember uh, watching a documentary on the Falkland Wars, mm. you know, it's, I'm sure you guys studied the Falkland cause that, that was like the, the first modern naval battle really. Yeah. One of the first. Yeah. And they were saying that, it, so the guys that wore the synthetic clothing, mm. you know, to, to stay warm and stuff, they, they burned, they got horrific burns. Mm. from from the fires because their clothing would just melt on their skin it was just horrific right the guys that had the hand knit wools from home that that mom had or grandma had sewed them or whatever you know, knitted fine. for them it it a higher combustible temperature and they didn't melt on them so yeah. they did a lot better so it's just fascinating how and i know on the viking ship i think i probably said this before i can't remember but like the guys that had the guys and the, the men and women that had the hand knit stuff like the old viking technology stuff mm -hmm. They were warmer than us with the modern stuff. Yeah, and so there is something to be said about quality uh, over quantity. There's something to be said about natural materials versus synthetic. Yeah, in some and, cases. Oh, for sure. And there's definitely, um, I definitely experienced some of that firsthand. Really? Yeah. Uh, so the thing about going to South America is a lot of people imagine it warm, especially. But we went during the summer. For so a little knowledge, South America is a long continent, folks. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, uh, so it was pretty cold um, a lot of the time because uh, we were there mostly during the summer, and then it our summer, our yeah, during our summer, it's their winter. Yeah, Northern Hemisphere summer. Okay, right, yeah. and then it quickly shifted over because we left in August, so it was, but we didn't get back to Hawaii until January. All right, so we experienced three out of four of their seasons and then it definitely on my first deployment all of the stops that we made were in the upper hemisphere the northern hemisphere with the exception of brisbane australia mm. obviously lower hemisphere uh the the southern hemisphere so at the time the deployment every other port was summer okay hit brisbane it was winter mm -hmm. only clothes everyone had on board shorts and shirts and t-shirts <laughs> So, it's not, Australia. It's not that bad, right? Oh, it was windy. Oh, Bryn okay. Brisbane was surprisingly windy. And obviously, if we had made it even farther south to Sydney, it would have been colder. Mm -hmm. like, I, guess, uh, I guess the Brisbane's not entirely one-to-one, -one, but relatively would have been, I guess, where San Diego, you would think San Diego is in America. But flipped, obviously. Mm -hmm. So their winters are milder, yeah. but still colder than we were expecting. <laughs> <laughs> All 
All right. Well, Kyle, we're going to wrap up, but uh, thank you very, very much. Thank oh, you for doing this interview. No and, problem. And yeah, I hope we have some more in the future. It's It's been uh, just great uh, hearing your story, hearing about some of your deployments, COVID, oh my gosh, uh, being quarantined, but also just philosophizing a little bit and getting into politics a tiny bit. And usually right. don't do that here, but uh, it's great to hear different perspectives. So. Yeah. I try to have different perspectives. Try to have a different perspective. Not, not even different. Interesting, thought out perspectives. Yeah. Like I'm not saying I disagree with with anything you say. It's just uh, it's it's just good to have a good conversation with somebody. Oh, for sure. Thought about stuff. And you and you definitely just need to go out and meet people to get that that interest. Like you'll not you will never know who has an interesting conversation until you talk to them. I love it. Well, this has been very interesting for me. I hope it's been interesting for everybody listening. And thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, well, folks. Uh, so thank you, folks, for listening. And please uh, spread the word about the podcast if you get a chance. Uh, support us if you're able to. Buy my kid's book and check it out if you have a chance. Check out the movie Greyhound. I really enjoyed it. It was actually like there haven't been many World War II movies come out by Americans that I've really enjoyed recently. That one was one. That was an exception to the rule. So please check it out. And... Everybody take care and wishing you wishing you fair winds and following seas. That's what I was trying to say. Thank you, Kyle. (laughs) All right. Wish you everybody out there fair winds and a following sea.